We Infuse Podcast, episode number 21. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast. My name is Dylan McCabe, and in each episode, we give you a behind-the-scenes look at the infusion practice, and we interview industry experts, CEOs, nurse practitioners, and all types of people down in the trenches in the infusion practice. And in this particular episode, we're going to interview um, Aaron Smith and Callie Turk, who started a standalone infusion center in Oklahoma City. This is definitely the longest episode we've ever recorded, but the key to this episode is we're going to get down into the details of what it's really like to start an infusion center, some of the pain points with drug formulary, payer contracting, referral base, stuff like that. We're really going to get into it. So if you want to start an infusion center or if you're having some, you know, some bumpy processes going on right now in your current infusion center, this episode is for you. Let's dive right into it. Okay, like I said, we have a special interview here with Aaron Smith and Callie Turk. So, guys, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for inviting us. Now, Aaron and Callie are the co-founders of Flex Care Infusion Center in Oklahoma City, right? That's correct. And this is a standalone multi-specialty infusion center. Yes, it is. Right? Mm -hmm. And so Aaron is the acting CEO slash sales and marketing of the organization. And Callie is kind of internal operations. That's correct. correct. Okay, good deal. And anything else, including taking out the trash or or washing the floor. That's the, the life of the entrepreneur. Well, well, for, for those listening, and we have listeners across the board from private equity guys to physicians to nurse practitioners to just people across the infusion landscape. So tell everybody, I guess, just kind of a little bit about your background and what got you into this space in the first place. Okay. I'll, I'll start. We'll start with the broad knowledge and then go to the skill here. I am, I've been in healthcare and healthcare management for about 20 years. I originally started in the diabetes and diabetes education area through software. A partner and I had opened up a software company that was used to manage those facilities. And through that company, that company, um, we were eventually acquired by Healthways, which was a population health uh, population health company, but they had a a healthcare market that had about a 150 hospital systems, including the ambulatory infusion centers. That, or I'm sorry, the ambulatory education centers that they used our software for. And from stayed with them, stayed with them for about five years, and then actually followed my, the market leader there at Healthways, followed her from uh, Healthways over to Optum. And Optum with Briova, Briova Infusion, or Briova Health. And anyway, it was through that move, through that move to Optum slash Briova that I got sight of the infusion, the specialty infusion area. And the, you know, the prior, the prior 12 years or 13 years, I sometimes, whenever I'm being a little bit glum, I, I think back about the, the, the 
technology and the workflows and the running of the clinics, and it was hard to, again, especially once we got into population health, where the focus became, where the focus became much more around keeping the healthy healthy, and it became hard to understand how the effort placed into all of the systems really at the end of the day did much good. And when I moved over to, whenever I moved over to Optum, and I, at Optum was working there over there, there with their innovations group and over their innovations group with a couple of, in a couple of key areas. One was measuring the outcomes of these medications and then the other had to do with optimizing the physician field. They had a rather large uh, group of nurses across the country that they were doing it with. And it was in the work of working with uh, this, of measuring the outcomes that I realized the the (laughs) sort of unfound diamonds of these specialty medications. They didn't work for everybody, as our outcomes indicated, but for those that they worked for, they were life-changing, without question life-altering, from people who would no longer be able to participate in, be able to participate in life activities because of symptoms that just frankly kept them away, to people who were disabled to the point that they couldn't, and seeing how some of these medications have the ability to stop to, to stop the progression and in some cases reverse it so that these people I, can continue to lead their lives. It was amazing. It was certainly a lot more fulfilling than, than knowing that you had a program out there to keep, you know, 3,000 employees from smoking, and three participated for two months. So it was a very exciting, uh, it was a very exciting time whenever I, moved, whenever I moved over there. And that's also where I met Callie, and Callie was working with me on, on the outcomes, uh, the outcomes collection. And it was over that time that as, over that time as we went through the, it, I was, I'm not going to lie, I was getting the edge to figure out a way to go back out on my own again because while it's, while you can help people in a 200,000 person organization, you're a lot closer to the people that you can help whenever you're in an organization with five or six. So I was getting the edge anyway and had looked at and had actually looked, was looking very closely at the technology space. And began to understand that they're really, even without the technology, just in the pure operational side, there was not only an, an opportunity, there was really a market need in some of the markets for, for these infusion centers. Because there were patients who were struggling to get access to some of the drugs because there weren't enough of the weren't enough of the centers available that could serve 
you know, specifically the Medicare and Medicaid market, but also some commercial markets, especially for the, the higher-risk drugs. And so it was as I had left Optum and was scratching around for the technology, I, for the technology space that I really uncovered the opportunity to the opportunity with these infusion centers, and so began putting together the putting together the plan and and raising the funds to get it done. That's that it was that piece that brought me into it. The piece of the piece of not only being a viable business, but a viable business where it where it seems to have profound opportunity to to make a difference. That's great. And Kelly, how about you? What's been your background to this point and how did you how did you agree to all this with Aaron? <laughs> I'm a gambler. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I really and I'm am. persistent. So <laughs> very, very, very persistent. Uh, well, I'm a nurse by background, so I've actually been in the specialty pharmacy space for 10 years. Uh, I was a PRN infusion nurse for um, one of the specialty pharmacies, so I went out to the home and did infusions. Uh, and then I you know, quickly started coming and doing more operational stuff, and so I had kind of the, the field experience and then also kind of the operational experience uh, so the, for the past 10 years, I've been in specialty pharmacy, which is, a, you know, a little bit different. But we did have infusion suites and infusion centers that I helped uh, stand up that were linked to specialty pharmacies. So I had that background. Um, you know, our model, the it's basically a physician group is a little bit different than when you're attached, you know, to a specialty pharmacy. But um, I, like Aaron mentioned, we worked on outcomes together and really for the specialty drugs, trying to expand uh, into other specialty drugs as well. But that process in a very large company is daunting <laughs> and trying to get those approved. And so that's really, you know, when Aaron, you know, talked to me about it, I thought, why not? That'd be awesome. It's a good experience and I love doing it. And um, yeah, that's kind of really how it started. I mean, it's pretty simple. I said yes pretty quickly, right? Yeah, and she, <laughs> she has not admitted to regretting that decision more than you know, ten or fifteen times in the last six months. Well, that's that's interesting. So, coming from a background where you had infusion centers that were pharmacy based, mm -hmm. what would you say has been the biggest difference for you going from the pharmacy based model to a physician based model? Because, and the reason I'm asking that is because mm -hmm. I run into sometimes specialty pharmacies that have a high volume of infusion patients. And we get into conversations of the difference in your formulary, your drug cost, reimbursement, you know, payer mix and all this stuff. And there's just a lot of unknowns out there for a pharmacy-based infusion center. Mm -hmm. what, what would you say to that? For me, I think it's been regulatory. So a lot of my background has been compliance. And the regulatory touches everything. It touches pharmacy, drugs, storage, um, clinical. I mean, it touches everything. But... There's no accredita accreditation, you know, in like a physician um, group standalone office versus in specialty pharmacy. There is there's so many regulations. So that actually is easier from my standpoint coming into this situation. But also at the same time, I thought there has to be more. There has to be more to it. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think it was just digging and trying to find um, trying to find what is it that we need to do from a regulatory standpoint. Um, in terms of, 
you know, I know the pair contracts has been, and I never was involved from a startup perspective with the specialty pharmacy. So everything was already in place. So that definitely is something that's a little bit different, obviously going under um, Medicare Part B versus um, Part D. And that's still kind of a learning curve that I think I'm approaching. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but I know that's a big one. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that I, I think the, the model also having nurse practitioners, um, obviously because we can do Part B, um, has, is very beneficial because I think you reach the Medicare, Medicaid population uh, versus all of the specialty pharmacies that had infusion centers that I worked with. We couldn't take those patients. We could take them if, you know, if we couldn't find anybody else to take them. We could take them, but we wouldn't get paid for the nursing. We basically eat those costs. So I guess those would be kind of the top three that I think of right away. Um, I also think that when you have pharmacy and nursing services, so you've got your specialty pharmacy and you've got your uh, infusion services, there's a little bit of a disconnect. There's always this path of communication that, you know, the more people that you have to go through to communicate something, there's always transfer error or something that isn't communicated correctly. So I like the fact that it's more all in-house with us uh, versus having to, you know, and obviously we can go to a specialty pharmacy and and get drug, you know, for certain therapies that we may not do um, at at the standalone clinic. But um, I think in general, I found that this is much easier uh, in terms of communication and having it be all in-house to where we're all talking together. We don't have to go through the specialty pharmacy. And pharmacists speak a different language than clinical team or nursing team, So, um, which is good and bad. I think it's good to have their, their feedback too, but I think with the advanced practitioner model, it is a lot easier to kind of get all of that just in, you know, keeping it in-house kind of uh, consistent, efficient, succinct. Yeah, those are some good points. And so that kind of leads me to ask, you know, what is the difference, I guess, with you guys? You've got FlexCare. You, you, you're just getting started here, and it's been a process to get here. And you've yeah. had your grand opening. You're live. You're, you're seeing patients. Tell people about FlexCare. I mean, what, what is it like to have a standalone infusion center? And specifically in your market, what makes FlexCare a little different? Well, we uh, so we didn't choose Oklahoma City just Oklahoma City was chose based off of off of its access to care and the availability of these centers. It it was definitely an area that we thought not only we could go into and provide additional access to care, but it also was an area that. That we felt like we could go in there and maybe move the market as far as to quality of care as well, and so by selecting Oklahoma City, we we went through and we had done our analytics as as far as the actual providers, where Oklahoma City was sitting at was sitting at five peer practices per million people versus other places like Dallas and Houston where they're sitting up around nine. So there definitely was a was a market need there. The second, but it's not just about going into a place with a market need. It's also going into a place knowing that we can help. And we are we're actually very confident, given our background, the 
we can go in there uh, for a couple for a few things. First of all, the uh, somehow for a guy who started out in in diabetes twenty years ago, I now have more family members on with autoimmune with autoimmune disease and on biologics than I have on diabetes medications or managing their diabetes. This is a this is a market that is this is a market that I'm not gonna, I'm not sure it's growing because I think the need has been there, but I think it's being uncovered. And I think it's being uncovered quickly. And without fail, the three people in the three people in my family who have had it have either struggled with access or they've struggled with the quality of place that they're in. There is opportunities galore to, there are lots and lots of opportunities to, to provide a good product. So the, the first part is just from the, from the perspective of technology, making sure that we have the information that we've made, providing us with the information very easy and that we are responsive back to the physicians that are referring to us. So they know what's going on with their patient. If we're able to serve them, then they're confident that we're serving them. If for any reason that we're not, or if there are any adverse reactions or anything that's going on, they know that they can count on any referral that comes to us isn't going into a black hole. And a lot of that is, it, it's funny how in this industry, the topics may change, but the problems may stay the same. That is exactly what our technology was put into place to do 20 years ago for diabetes education centers for these ambulatory clinics. It's a known problem whenever you're a physician that you don't like referring to people who don't tell you what's going on once you send a patient home. So the so our real first differentiator is this is a problem. This is a problem that I know how to solve and I'm very confident in solving and we infuse to its credit makes it a a very easy problem for us to stay on top of and solve. The second thing is being a family member of several people who are in it. I've got a real passion for figuring out how to how to make sure that while these people, while these patients, while my family members or other people who I know or God forbid me or my children someday are sitting in these centers that it's not just a medication that they're going there to keep to get better and remain hopeful about, but it's also a place that they don't mind going. Right? There's there's in healthcare, especially in the, as we have the opportunity to make it more patient centered. I think one of the things that we have to remember that patient centered doesn't always mean more medication or you know, trickier therapies or advanced technologies. Sometimes it just means remembering that that's a patient who is a human who is probably scared, who is going through something that is complicate, complicating their entire life, and putting them in putting them in a position where you can help them without making any of those other things worse. And what do I mean by that? Give them some way to pass their time. 
through, you know, through entertainment so they don't hate it. Don't settle me in places where they're worried about their privacy as they're having to answer some somewhat invasive, you know, assessments on on how how they're doing between each of these things. Don't force, they, don't, they, it's just easy to make them comfortable if you think of them as a patient who should be comfortable while they're receiving their therapy, which goes on for three to eight hours. So that one's a big, trying to figure out how to make it a comfortable place where they feel that they can talk freely and privately without being concerned, and they can choose to talk or not talk based off of how they feel that day. That's that's pretty important to me. And then the other the other part is just the access. I I want to given given my background, my experience with technology and with data, I want to I want to be closer to where the problems of access are taking place because I think it not only is a fixable problem through technology and process, but I think it's an important one to fix because right now patients are being denied care because of because of problems in that area. And don't know their resources and don't have help with an advocate to help them navigate that. I mean, <laughs> there are so many different resources out there that patients don't even know about. And it's almost exhausting for them to go look for it because then they're like, what do I do? So, you know, one of our goals is to make that part of our process that we can take on for the patient. We've already kind of looked up, you know, resources, kind of gathered all of that so that we can kind of spearhead that for the patient. Uh, we may not be able to do it all of the time, but that's something we'd like to build upon just to take that burden off the patient. It may not be doable 100% of the time, but I feel like you can always give them and do the research for them. Not necessarily like, here's a number, call them, call for them. You know what I mean? Make it easier for them to kind of us do the navigating for them and say, this is what we found. <laughs> At some point, they have to call and reach out, right, potentially, or we can connect them. But I think that's a huge but, piece, too. But the key is, is it's complicated for us. Right. And we're... I am no expert in this industry, but I've been all over the place in healthcare, technology, workflows, management, in technology, and it is amazingly complicated. Cowie's been in this specific industry for 10 years, 12 years, and she, there's not a week that goes by where she doesn't talk about something that is exasperatingly complicated in the process. And we're the experts. You put a patient, you leave a patient in charge of gathering all this information and putting them in charge of, of getting of getting that approval. And you're rolling you're rolling the dice on who you you're rolling the dice on who you refer to, and they're rolling the dice on whether they get somebody who provides them with the correct information or not. It is. Well, I was talking with, you know, speaking to the complexity of the model, I was talking with a healthcare organization just this morning uh, that ha I think they own 70 hospitals across the U.S. and they're going to start building standalone infusion centers, outpatient infusion centers, but they don't know that model, that business model and the specific workflow. So they're going to engage us for consulting on that. <clears throat> but 
and they're mostly in the Northeast, but, but they, I mean, they, even though they've been in the healthcare space, even with hospitals and stuff like that, um, they don't know it's, they don't, they know that they don't know this model. Mm -hmm. And we've talked with them enough to, to where they've said, Hey, look, we, we know that the patient is going to have to go through a lot of steps, you know, what we call our pre-treatment workflow of getting an authorization, getting an order for an infusion, how many treatments, what frequency, for how long. And then we have to talk to the payer about what all is covered. Is a specialty pharmacy required? Is a referral required? Um, is there a planned waiting period for the, is there, is there coverage for this particular diagnosis? All these different things. And then checking up on the dates and faxing things off to the, the payer and sending labs and a letter of medical necessity, doing all that stuff. Then you get the patient scheduled and you have to make sure you don't schedule them before the authorization approval yeah. date or whatever. And then the nurse charts and has to record inventory and infusion times. It, it is a very challenging model, which, um, you know, obviously is what we infuse is designed to do is dramatically simplify that model. But, um, but I like what you said because you mentioned that. It's scary for two people. It's scary for the patient and it's scary for the business owner. <laughs> but for the patient, you know, I think it's so it, it's so intimidating because you want to make sure you're covered and then you have to go to a different setting to get your therapy and you have to get an infusion. And that's why I like what the uh, NICA does with their website, infusioncenter.org. And they even have a page that's dedicated to what a patient should consider before they get an infusion I like how they do that, but it sounds like you guys are really trying to be patient focused and even take an extra step to help them a lot, which you don't really hear about too much unless it's a specialty pharmacy, which is probably where you're bringing that perspective to it. Yeah, I've worked for one specialty pharmacy that provided a lot of support. And that's really, I mean, that was actually one of Aaron's big goals was to have an advocacy program. Um, and mine as well. But I think um, in general, if you think about the average patient who's sick, who has to be seen for therapy, who has a full-time job, <laughs> they don't have the time to, and as a patient myself, what, you can't call after work at 5 o'clock, places are closed. <laughs> so when are they supposed to do you, that? Or if you call them during the day, you leave a message and, and they you're call on back. But if you're hours. on the phone, you can't take the call. So that's, I mean, we have the time and the opportunity to do that. And we, we can kind of build around that model, too, of providing that care and and staff and, to that. And if we get a unexpected no anywhere along the way, we have the experience and the background and the contacts to understand if that's correct. Where when a patient and I or a patient advocate, a family member, care support, when you get a no, it's the most infuriating and hopeless feeling that you can get because it's to say no because they don't know? Is it a no because they're being lazy? Or is it really a no that there's just no other way and so you have to go back around? And those are the, that's an area that I think that, that's an area that I think that we, we will help. That we are very, very intent because, as I said, we have the background, we have the opportunity, we have the expertise, and it is within the business interest to do it. So everything's aligned for us to be in that position to provide it. And that's so good, and that's why you guys will be able to offer a level of customer service and support 
that's way better than a patient could get in a typical hospital setting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the, we know that all this, this stuff that was shared at the NICA conference, just talking about how payers are pushing patients out of the hospital setting into standalone infusion suites and using reimbursement to force that change. And you guys are going to have a nice setting. I mean, I'm looking at a, a flyer here for your infusion center, a very nice setting where somebody can go in a, in a place that doesn't really feel clinical at all. And they can be in a relaxed environment and, and sit there for a few hours and be well taken care of. And, and the cool thing is, is you guys are going to see these patients repeatedly and really develop a community there. So I think it's, it's awesome what you guys are doing. But let's go back to what you said when you hear a no. There's challenges, like we discussed in this business model. What would you say have been some of your biggest challenges leading up to this point? The, uh, the, from a, it's the process of sequencing all of the contracts that have to be in place before you can open the door and see a patient. The, uh, that is a sequence that is very specific and at best slow, but if you get anything out of sequence, it is really slow <laughs> and nearly impossible to fix. So, and we were very fortunate due to work that we did with you guys work that we had done with, uh, work that we did with CSI, Kelly's experience in the industry as a whole, to, we, we have done pretty well on the sequence. But the, my initial assumption, the cocky entrepreneur assumption was when everybody said, you know, that it takes eight months for contracting, that really what it means is, it takes four months, but you have to stay on it. Well, what it really means is that it kind of takes eight months, and if you screw it up, it will take 16 to 32, right? Or, or they may not contract with you, right? There's the, there was also this assumption that you build it, you will come. There's, you know, there are, uh, there's a larger opportunity within this area, it's an underserved area, but underserved doesn't mean that there aren't options for these patients. And I think that's the other thing is we expected the payers and contractors to really jump at the benefits that we were bringing. But there's a, but A, it's the contracting process, which they've been through many, many more times than we have. And they goes at the speed that it goes at. And so they certainly weren't jumping. The second, but the thing that I was surprised about was that they didn't feel that they had to jump because as due to exceptions within policy, there are still ways to eventually get these patients to the care they need. Now, I, is that good? Is it optimal? No way, because there's patients who are falling through the crack every time there's any sort of impediment in getting them in. If you, the longer you take to get the patient in the door, the the larger chance that that patient is going to continue to lose 
health that they're not going to be able to recover on one side or that they're just not going to that they're going to become hopeless and fall through on the other side so it's not optimal but it was a overestimation on my part to think that uh, to think that things would be uh, to think that things would be easier than what they are they're not they're complicated and i think what I've learned is that when someone tells you a timeline, oh, we can get it done in this amount of time, or if a website says it'll be done in this amount of time, triple it <laughs> or have a backup <laughs> because it really is the case. I mean, even with like the building permit, um, construction's a whole nother learning experience. If you're building from the ground up, it's a beast of a project. I mean, yes. it's like probably one of the bigger projects I've ever had to deal with, and it's to the minute details, but it's huge and it's time, you know, it's very, it takes a lot of time. <laughs> and, um, I think in general, the expectation you should always expect and plan for things to take more time than even they're projected to take, um, just to give yourself kind of a buffer of time That's for literally good. everything. <laughs> I swear. Um, you know, we, there's just a few things that I can think of that, you know, we're promised a time or told a time frame and they take twice as long. So, and when your business opening depends on it, that, that is very, you know, time is money. So, yeah, I, it's good to be a, to be a little bit more specific about the challenges, going back to my answer, the challenges and the complexity, there is this specific, there is this specific order to, and the challenge was the challenge that everybody warned us in, which is that it's complicated getting it started. But I, I will say the, the, the resources that we had available through, uh, through NICA, through We Infuse, through CSI, they, the, we were able to put together, we were able to put together a plan that, Got us through and that worked and that met the that met the timeline. That timeline is a little fuzzy because at the early point we didn't know enough to make a timeline, which is probably good. But you know, there those steps were available. The challenge, but when it comes to sequence, it comes to the sequence of. You have to have the site and the licenses before you can start your contracting process with your payers. You have to have your contracting process pretty well down the line and nearly in place and close to opening the doors before you can start your processes, your contracting processes with your medication providers, with your group purchasing organizations and all of those things. And so the, uh, so the key thing that I, that I really learned, not is that it's complicated. If I could have learned that nine months ago had I listened to everybody who was trying to tell us that. But the key thing that we were, that we did take care of, but is important for anybody who is considering this, is to take care and manage that cash flow during that process. Because the, when you finally get to the point of opening the doors, you are opening the doors to another leg of the marathon 
you're not hitting the finish line. And so that's, you know, as I say, I was, I was fortunate in, in this part to have planned it in, but I am very relieved and would advocate for anybody considering starting it to pay very, very close attention to the timelines and to make sure that they account for not just the timelines for getting the doors open, but the margin for error to get those doors open. And then once those doors are open, to take care of the, uh, the timeline for growth. That's good. That's good advice. I mean, it's just like acquiring or starting any business. You better do your due diligence and make sure you're aligned with the right people. And you did market analysis. Make sure you've got the right market. You got the right model. You got the right team in place. Absolutely. And you guys are starting on such a strong foundation. And, and obviously the heart is in the right place, too, to be patient, focused and want to really take care of people. So well, let, let's switch gears. OK, so talking about challenges, tell us. Now, what, what are a um, couple of things you guys are most excited about today with your infusion center? So I guess for me, I'm excited about almost everything that we've done. I mean, this whole process yeah. has taken so long. It feels so good to have a space, like you mentioned before, it doesn't look like a healthcare center. And that's what we wanted. I was really glad when you said that because I thought that was our goal, to make it not seem like you're going to a hospital or a physician's office that's really just boring and not comfortable. Um, so that made me excited to hear you say that because a lot of effort, you know, went in from all of our team to make it that way. And um, a lot of effort, <clears throat> I'm big on policies and procedures. And so I fan protocols for our therapies. And I know not everybody's big on that, but I think it's huge. And I think everybody needs some sort of direction. And if anybody needs to, you know, when you open, you kind of get lost and there's so much stuff moving around. Okay, take it back to what did we decide? What was our protocol? What was our plan? And I've done that myself <laughs> already. And it, so it helps me kind of navigate that a little bit more. And so I'm excited to actually all of the work that we've done in the past gosh, nine months yeah. <laughs> has been so worth it right now. And I feel like, um, you know, implementing that. I'm excited about implementing it. I'm excited about the workflows that we've done, the communication gaps that we're trying to fill with process that we've actually done it with our patient. And we've so it's working so far. We have one patient, <laughs> but, but it's exciting that it's working. And I feel like um, I'm always about improving too so getting that feedback i'm excited to get feedback in and seeing what the patients actually say and you know modifying whatever we need to do yeah to make it better on, it's going to be exciting to actually hear the patients and come in and see and as they yeah i consider them a source of endless opportunity mm -hmm. right because they will be bringing in new experiences new problems that we may be in the position to help solve Mm -hmm. But I, one thing I will have, I, I will have to give Callie credit for too, because she's been big from day one. Is that we are not opening those? She has opened too many too many infusion centers without policy and procedures, and and having to, you know, do it, uh, try to play catch up as the patients come in and. I will tell you, the work that she and Rebecca, our nurse practitioner, have done is pretty amazing. I would challenge anybody up to a game of, do you have that protocol? Because I think we are in pretty good shape. <laughs> hey, that's great. That's that's going to protect you long term. What Somebody said having a process is just, it's just a predetermined decision ahead of time, right, about how you're going to handle something, and that way everybody's on this. You know, our, one of our co-founders, Reese Norris, our, who's also our COO, 
is the most process oriented person I've ever worked with. And it's been great because we have standard processes for everything and it makes it so simple for me. I'm not Mr. Process. I'm more, I like, like typical salesperson. I like talking. I like asking a lot of questions. I like hanging out with people. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty details, like, Oh shoot, I missed that. I'm sorry. I forgot to send that email. You know, uh, so we have processes for that. You know, we got processes for everything, and I love it. It mm-hmm. it, it enables your brain to relax. So um, it keeps everybody on the same page and doing the same thing every time. Yep. And if they go off of it, it's easy to say, "Okay, let's veer them back this way." Yep. And it's those nice. processes and those processes are important for missed emails. They're so much more important for a patient who is about to be given a drug for the first time that they could have a, you know, an adverse reaction to. I think that's, I mean, I think that's kind of, you talk to, how do you, how do you make sure that the patient's okay? How do you make sure that the physicians very detailed in it? Because I feel like clinicians, if you're not someone who thrives off of like when patients starting, you know, if they have an adverse reaction, some people don't do well with that situation, but to have stuff just to refer to black and white, this is what I need to do. Have something there in front of you. Um, that's kind of, you know, a policy and procedure is only so good, right? Because it's a piece of paper. But when you incorporate it into references for staff and have it there, I feel like you get more response out of your staff and they feel more comfortable and confident. And at least I do. I've yep. been in that position and I wanted that and I didn't have it. <laughs> so I feel like that's why I feel like it's so important because I'm not the only person that has felt that way. Like, what do I do in this situation? Yeah. And that was I, more think that's, I think that's what makes this model, you know, as a business model so different is there are so many processes in play that are at different stages to get a patient scheduled and then get your inventory updated and all those things, which is what the whole point of we infuse. And, and when we, when we're on a call with someone doing a discovery call, that's all we do is ask a ton of questions about their current processes and their current workflow. How do you handle your pre-treatment workflow? How do you handle your scheduling? How many people are involved? What does a stream of communication look like back and forth? And I'm telling you, I have heard it all. Yeah, I've heard of showing up in the morning where you've got 15 people in a big meeting room and a huge whiteboard and everybody's chiming in saying, Oh, this patient needs to be in that column over there. I've heard of folder systems. I've heard of sticky, heard and seen sticky notes all over the desk. Um, Paper systems where paper is falling down behind the desk. And um, I've heard of people today, I heard of a group using a project management platform that's not even designed for a clinical setting. But that's the best tool they had at this Mm -hmm. point. And so so that's great that you guys are so process focused. I mean, that's you, you have to be. We like to... We like to talk about how in the infusion center, you really have to have equal parts, clinical training and business acumen. You just have to because the revenue is so high for biologics. Yep. You just can't afford to make mistakes. Yeah, so One mistake can turn the lights up pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, you guys clearly have an awesome infusion center. You're in a great market. You've got a great uh, heart and passion to do it. What would one parting piece of advice be for people listening to this podcast that are also thinking about either starting or acquiring an infusion center? Um, that the opportunity is there. I mean, it, it really is a, it really is a target rich opportunity as far as you went through several pieces of it. Wherever you have that many processes and 
where you have that many processes that need to be paid that need to be paid in, attention to operationalized, and it's really the merging of two different current domains, which is the you know the independent infusion center or the independent physician, which provides infusions at his clinic, and you're merging the ambulatory infusion center from specialty pharmacy. You're pulling them together, so you've got a lot of open ground as far as as far as open area where processes are are currently they're not standardized. So a lot of areas where you where you can come in and make a difference. You have opportunities as far as expansion, right? There's the finding places in need of this model is not difficult. You were talking about the the one hospital or a healthcare system that's going to be rolling out 70 of these places, right? That number alone tells you when one hospital is looking at that number that they're rolling out, there's opportunity. There's there's opportunity in in improving the the improving not only the access to care, but also the quality of care that's at these places. Improving the centers, improving the centers so that they have a certain standard of privacy and comfort and interest. There's also a, there's also, at some point, there's going to be a opportunity in the outcomes of these patients because these, these medications are way to the, uh, these medications are very, very expensive, and the payers are currently paying for it on the assumption that the patient's going to get better, but there's not a lot of formal tracking of the outcomes, and so that's going to make a difference. I, that is going to be, uh, they're doing it in population health, they're doing it in diabetes, they're doing it in hip replacements. It will move its way into specialty medications here pretty soon. So there's opportunities to make a difference in that. So there's this entire landscape of opportunities. That, but the one, um, the, uh, the one key piece of advice that I would follow that up with is know why you're doing it because it's not, as I said earlier, it's not build it and they will come. You need to figure out why you're doing it and know that you're bringing, you're improving something, right? If you're going out there, how are you going to help these patients, help these physicians improve this patient's care? I guess I would say something that I think you said a little bit earlier, balancing clinical operations with operations. There's a huge balance, and I think you can get caught in drug and drug down into the weeds on clinical operations. And it's really good to have a really good, you know, clinical operating system in place and protocols and all of that stuff. But there's also the aspect operationally of what drugs did you are you going to choose to go with? How is the reimbursement for those drugs? Um, is reimbursement good for those? I mean, do you just choose them <laughs> because you want to provide access to everybody. And I don't even know that we know some of those, you know, from a payer aspect, we don't have all all of our payer contracts in place. But um, I think that's something to think about and knowing that you might have to change some of the therapies that you provide later on. Maybe it's not as good of a choice. I don't want to say for patients, but from a business perspective to be viable 
you have to look at that. And so I think there's a balance. And I struggle sometimes with, okay, I want all this clinical stuff in place because I'm a nurse by background, but I also have to take a step back sometimes and be like, it's good enough. <laughs> we have a good process in place. This is, you know, we have bigger fish to fry here. So I think, um, I think a balance of that is really important, I guess, in my mind. So that's what I would just say. Make sure you're not too heavy on one side versus the other. It's good advice. Well, we could go on and on and talking about this stuff, but um, just to keep it, try to keep it uh, concise for our listeners and um, people can stay tuned and hear more, but I'm looking forward to updates. And if, I, if I'm ever in the Oklahoma City area, uh, I'll definitely stop by and yeah, see your place in person. Yeah, we would love to see you or any of your listeners come yeah. here. We'll you've give you a tour. You've already given me some swag with your foot scare infusion, <laughs> so I'm going to be drinking out of this tomorrow. <clears throat> Well, guys, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having us. All right. That completes the interview with Aaron and Callie. I hope you got a lot out of that. And if you'd like to learn more, you can connect with both of them, of course, on LinkedIn. You can also head over to our website at weinfuse.com. Check out our blog for the latest insights in the infusion practice. Also, if you're with an infusion practice now and you want the latest technology to streamline your processes and simplify your business, Definitely head over to weinfuse.com and request a demo today. And either myself or one of our other account executives will set up a discovery call with you to dive deeper into your workflow and hopefully uh, take it to the next level. This is Dylan McCabe with the We Infuse podcast. Thank you for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.